0: hello everyone and welcome to episode 107 of through the years the podcast reviews ring of honor show by show from the beginning my name is trevor dane joined as always by the co-host matt feuerstein matt 107 episodes uh i was just thinking there's a lot of important things in my life and people i care about that i probably haven't done like things 107 times with a lot of people (laughs) like i don't you know people are gonna go to you, you sickles, out there are going to go to one place? That may or may not be true. But I'm just talking about like, have I seen a, have I seen seen movies with a, any particular person 107 times?
1: Wait, oh, sickos! Boy. You mean to tell me that you haven't defecated 107 times <laughs> in your whole life, Trevor? Well,
0: well, with a friend, you know, holding hands.
1: <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. That's, you've only done that 106 times.
0: Exactly. Yes. <laughs> I got to keep pace with the podcast.
1: Well, we really got off to a start, didn't we?
0: <laughs> oh boy
1: <laughs> remember, remember that time that Vince McMahon did a promo and he kept saying shees? <laughs> 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 I forget what everything else in the promo was but I just remember he kept talking about quote shees. Well, well for the of this- listeners out there <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll decide if the show we're covering tonight is feces, which was Throwdown. It took place June 23rd, 2006, at the Michigan State Fairgrounds and Expo Center in Detroit, Michigan, from a reported crowd of 500 fans. Um, the Observer wrote so. I'm not going to tip my hand on how I thought about this show yet, but, well, you know, that'll become evident over the show probably, but hopefully or else I'm not doing a good job describing my thoughts and feelings about a show when the whole purpose of – the purpose, not the whole purpose of this podcast is to review wrestling shows. But anyway, The Observer wrote, they announced – a uh, October 7th return date at this show for Detroit, and then Dave adds, there were some boring chants during the show, and people leaving were saying it wasn't up to the level of the March 30th show with the Dragon Gate wrestlers. Sabu and Scott D'Amour were both at the show. Sabu was telling people that he didn't expect to last much longer in WWE, <laughs> so I like that Sabu was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm talking. <laughs> Clock's run out old Sabu guys. So I'll just hang out here. But, um, well, he
1: was definitely there into 2007, so that's probably better than he expected yeah yeah
0: he got a, at least another half year out of it he was in the Royal but, Rumble the next year oh yeah see you're really good with remembering that kind of stuff I am Horrible with that kind of stuff, as evidenced by anyone who's ever listened to any of our appearances on a uh, the Five Star Match Game trivia show. On. You
1: beat me at least once in that, possibly twice. Well,
0: I finished the best I ever did was finish second once. Every other time I finished third. So,
1: well, uh, the, time fin- the time you the time you finished second, I finished third. So there
0: that was that was the exception that proves the rule man but uh yeah like the attendance it was down but i looked it up and you know just comparing the observer to the observer to try and get consistent results the last time they were at wrestle it was wrestle you know the big wrestlemania triple shot and they did 550 fans so they only dropped 50 fans but on the other hand i think that show they ran on a thursday this is a a friday so you know apples and oranges but you know you can't expect this show to have the Dragon Gate guys and the WrestleMania week lineup and all that stuff. So, I think that's it's a little bit of unfair comparison. De- De- Detroit fans maybe being a little too hard on this. But um It's
1: like, it's like going to, to it's over. like going to a house show and being like that was not nearly as big as the time we went to WrestleMania 17. Yeah.
0: I mean, it also, I, I can imagine, you know, again, it's one of those things where if you went to Detroit, if your first experience at a Ring of Honor show, if you're in the Michigan area, um, was that WrestleMania triple shot show? I can imagine like, oh, this is going to, that's going to be like every time, like, um, you know, two guys are almost going to die and there's going to be all these foreign stars and like a loaded lineup. But we'll get to the show. Um, in fact, we opened this show with Shane Hagadorn and the other Ring of Honor students backstage uh, Shane says he's demand this promo time because he's earned it. He's the top of the class trophy holder, which makes him the top graduate of the ring of honor wrestling school. He says that puts him on the main show instead of the pre-show. And he's also been given the honor of picking his partner from any other graduate from the school. But then Shane with the other students around him, says, I don't think any of these guys have earned the shot. You know, they don't have the right to get the spot on the main card. So he says, I'm going to find a partner that actually deserves it. And we will soon see that partner.
1: And, and um, and he also tells him to go tells uh, the the three uh students behind him were Alex Payne, Bobby Dempsey and Rhett Titus. And he tells him, Go back to the school, go back to the uh the advanced classes and you know, get some more miles under your belt. And I guess at the very least Rhett Titus did, and I think it paid off for him.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um Then we had, uh, as often the case, two dark matches that did not make uh, the DVD. The first was a wrestler named Gutter, a local wrestler, defeated Bobby Dempsey. And then CJ Otis, who was kind of a mainstay in the IWA Mid-South at this time, defeated Rhett Titus. And that brings us to the opener that we did get to see on the main card. The Irish Airborne of Dave Crist and Jake Christ defeat Keith Walker and Shane Hagedorn in seven minutes, three seconds. When Dave Christ pins Hagedorn after the Irish Airborne do their big combo finisher, I still don't, don't know what exactly the name is. It's the double stomp while the other guy has their opponent in a Death Valley driver position. Then he hits the Death Valley driver onto the knees of his opponent. Anyway, they did all that. Then there was a pin. Um, Matt, before I throw it to you, for people wondering who Keith Walker was, uh, he was a guy, he had just started in pro wrestling. He was an American worker who had just started in pro wrestling Noah. So I wonder if that was maybe his in to get this shot with Ring of Honor because obviously Nigel McGuinness had just worked a tour of uh, pro wrestling Noah. And he would sign a uh, de- developmental deal with uh, WWE before by the end of the year. And he'd have a very short cu- cup of coffee there. And then after he... After that time in WWE's developmental, he was in like another three years doing quite a bit of pro wrestling. No, and that's kind of his biggest claim to fame. So if you're if you're watching these shows in the timeline, wondering who the heck is Keith Walker, that is who Keith Walker is. So uh, Matt, what do you think about Keith? What do you think about this match?
1: Keith is also known as the Human Massacre, apparently, and way more jack than most ROH wrestlers. Definitely one of those guys that stands out in ROH just because of how like. Big he looks, you know. He definitely looks like a guy who would have been in WWE developmental in uh, in two thousand and six. Um, so yeah, I mean, this match, I have to say, you know, it was a basic low card opener, but it was probably, and I guess this tips my hand for later, probably my favorite tag team match on the show. I um, wow.
0: yeah, it,
1: it was just it was <laughs> simple and. Fine, like, and I, you know, they, 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 they had some. I think Irish Airborne looked good. They didn't try to do anything that they really couldn't do. Dave Christ had a fun hot tag where he, you know, he dove onto Walker on to walk the floor, came right back in with the boot to the head, uh, head off the top, uh, right into that Death Valley Driver over the knees to pin Shane. I like that. They kept it simple. There was some fun stuff at the beginning where like Dave Christ was holding on to a wrist lock even as Shane Hagadorn dragged him over. And Pray Zach at one point says that Dave Christ, quote, maintains the wrist lock. And I thought he was going to debut the famous maintains wrist control call right there in two thousand six, but he does not. So um but yeah, no, this match was simple. They didn't try to do anything ambitious and it was enjoyable. So I thought simple and effective.
0: I thought this was very average. To me, this it, it felt like for anyone that's ever um done like played one of those games where you book a wrestling federation or did some Tony Khan esque, you know, write up a notebook and have your own fake fed when you're a kid in your head. If you ever get to like the bottom of a card when you're booking a show and you have like four names left over and they don't really go together, but it's like, well, these guys need to spawn the show, so I'll just squeeze them together because you can see why individually why all of these People are on the show in the sense of Irish Airborne could use a win because they were in the midst of a little very mini undercard push at this point and are probably in need of a little bit of rehapping after the kind of disastrous performance that at least one of them had on the prior show, which we talked about so that the, the performance so that we didn't get to see it and, um, you know, losing to Ricky Reyes quickly. And so you, that's why they're on this card. Shane Hagedorn recently just won the top of the class trophy. So likely you want to give him a sliver of a spotlight as well to kind of just emphasize, Hey, you know, this still means maybe a tiny bit to us, you know, Hey, this guy just, want, he's a, he's a new holder of this title. And then Keith Walker, again, is probably just a guy who was in the air and they were like, well, you know, he probably recommended to us. Let's give you a cup of coffee. Let's see uh, what you can do. But in terms of how these people fit together, you have like the, uh, the you know spot festy kind of fly flippy do tag team you have the very inexperienced rookie who sticks mostly to the basics and does them perfectly fine and then you have the big bodied dude who i think gets maybe one minute of ring time total in this match I, it's, this whole match is basically hagedorn getting uh, beat down getting a little bit of offense in, eventually tagging out Walker gets, like, one minute where he looks fairly good, where he kind of regains control for his team, and he tags back out to Hagedorn, and then that's basically the rest of the match. And uh, it's funny, like, one thing that's crazy about the world of indie wrestling at this point in Ring of Honor is anyone that had, you know, Keith Walker probably would, would say, oh, he has, like, if he was in WWE at this point, they'd be like, "Oh, that's an average physique." But in Ring of Honor, he instantly gets showered with a "you do steroids" chant. So it's like, if, if you were even like bulky—I mean, not that he wasn't a pretty big man, but like, yeah, he, he was Peter he Jack. Come on, like he was—he was—he he was, was. He was. But 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 that stuff sticks out hugely in ring of honor at this point and would maybe not get you the reaction you would get in other places um,
1: also one of my other um thing that i didn't mention other favorite part of the matches there was a point where uh dave chris was being choked over the uh over the bottom rope by shane hagedorn and he was just making the wackiest faces sticking his tongue out it was just like this is a this is a, a fine cell of being choked
0: yeah, you messaged me right after you had seen that was like, I know what the picture for the show has to be. Yeah. And I was like, right on. And I got it like a screen get cap of yes. within seconds. And, but, and, uh, I would,
1: and I would also defend the booking of this match. I feel like every wrestling company ever does that sort of thing. We're like, we need this yeah. guy to get a win. and We've got to put these two guys together. I mean, there are WrestleMania matches like that. So I don't think it's it's so crazy to to do something well, like that.
0: I just feel like... I don't – like, I could feel that awkwardness in the match. Like, I thought this match was – it was average. It was perfectly acceptable. But, like, I wouldn't think the best opponents for what the Irish Airborne could do would be Shane Hagedorn at this point and Keith Walker. You know, Keith Walker barely gets to do anything. Um, it, it just – I, I don't know. Like, the match was not bad, but I didn't feel like it really played to anybody's strengths. It's not unwatchable or terrible, but um, – yeah, I thought it was average, so we have a bit of a difference there, but...
1: To be fair, be- me me saying this was my favorite tag team match of the night doesn't necessarily mean that I love this match, if you know what I well, mean. Well,
0: see, that's a setup. That's a tease. Uh, we will have a bigger disagreement there. So, um, next we joined the... Uh- the embassy of Prince Nana, Jimmy Rave and Daisy Hayes backstage. Daisy tells Rave to forget about Samoa Joe. She'll take him out tonight if she has to, which was adorable. Rave's like, you know, I'm, I'm not focusing on Joe. I'm coming after Davy Richards. And the black guy I gave to him recently is nothing compared to what I'm going to do to him tonight. He says, he's not worried about Samoa Joe or delirious in the four corner survival match that they that he and Davy are also in, are in tonight. He says, it's only Davy Richards in that match that he wants. And, uh, Matt, we, uh, we've, uh, uh, through the years, especially it seems like in the last year or two, we have there's been a lot of weird coincidences where whatever we're covering on the show uh, sync up with something that ha- is happening in the w- world of wrestling as it happens. And this is probably the most unfortunate where we are literally recording a show where, you know, Davey Richards wrestles with a black eye and people talk about and Jimmy Rave is talking about and we'll talk about during the match. And we were literally recording this one day after uh, domestic violence allegations came out surrounding davy richards oh
1: i am i am out of the loop about this
0: yes uh davy richards has announced his retirement from wrestling he is outright saying that uh his uh the his partner is accusing him he's saying well if you see a picture of her with a black eye that is from a uh, a us trading martial arts together and so it was real going over my notes again today for the show or last night for the show it's very uncomfortable i was like oh good god like of all the shows, to have to talk about Davy Richards with a black eye, but uh, yeah. So domestic violence, don't do it. I, if, if a wrestling podcast to tell you that, you're in big trouble. But just be decent to each other, people. So next up, we have the uh, Ring of Honor Pure Title match. That would be Nigel McGuinness successfully defending the title when he defeats Conrad Kennedy III via pinfall in nine minutes thirty nine seconds after he hit the Tower of London. And I thought this was very much a uh, star takes it easy on the first half of a double shot match. Nigel hits a bunch of his trademark moves, but the pace of the match, I would say, is like a gear slower than most performances from him. Feels more like a warm up for him this weekend than anything. And I felt like that was kind of a shame because the crowd atmosphere, I think, was, gave them the potential to have something more. Like this match is fine. It's, I, I enjoyed it more than the first match, but I think the potential was there to do something that was more fun than what they did because ck3 is a local guy we've seen him at least one time before and there is a vocal contingent in the crowd on his side which leads to like a loud genuine extended dueling chant and i think this is a crowd that would have been super into if ck3 like pushing nigel to the limits where instead they do some decent but pretty standard training of holds ck3 does get a couple dice once he does he has this really neat lung blower variation where he hammer locks his opponent then leaps onto their back and then kind of flips them into the lung blower and then he later does like a variation of that move but ends with a neck breaker instead which also looks cool and he throws a few nice stiff forearms late and nigel does give him uh, some stuff like he doesn't completely squash him He, he he lets him kick out of the rebound lariat although granted nigel was letting Pretty much everyone kick out the rebound, lariat, But, um, he, he does end up having to get use a rope break because of Conrad. But overall, this did feel like, you know, star has a relatively easy time dispatching local wrestler match. It's a, it's like a strong average, I would say. Um, Conrad, you know, again, Conrad Kennedy in his performances has been a perfectly fine but unspectacular wrestler. And I feel like Nigel here is a great talent. That's kind of on autopilot and you combine those two things together and, uh, yeah, you get this match.
1: Yeah, I um, I pretty much agree with you about the match, except I like the opener more. Um, because uh, because uh, yeah, this match was I don't know, it just felt like it didn't live up to what it could have. I thought you know one weird dynamic was the crowd really wanted to be into uh, CK3 as a babyface but he didn't really work so much like a baby face and Nigel wasn't particularly heelish. Like the the only thing he really did was do the, I have till five to, you know, tease his future matches with Danielson. But otherwise, you know, he just kind of wrote, worked a straight match, didn't really do much interesting. And, you know, I feel like just, I wrote the same thing you did. The crowd wanted to like it, but it was just a little too plotting. Um, and I felt like maybe, you know, I think CK3 hit pretty hard but his timing seemed off a little bit and so I just it just felt like just an easy win you know not a not a squash but almost like a TV squash for Nigel yeah and uh yeah it would have been interesting to see them try to do something more than that but they didn't so this is what we got
0: and see your black eyes. Nigel McGuinness came into this match with a black eye. I don't know where he suffered that from. And I, I thought one interesting point you just brought up was the uh Nigel, you know, not really working that much as a heel. You know, he does Danielson's I have till five, but have we basically been seeing on the recent shows like kind of a, a soft babyface turn for Nigel where there's no one big moment? Because even like, you know, he recently teamed with Colt, who's a babyface, and they like they got along. And even this match where he's kind of a dick, but you know, he can be a little bit of a dick, but he's not really cheating here and he still handshakes at the end of the match. Like he's he's still kind of an asshole, but he's not I mean
1: well, I, I don't know. Uh, like I said in the last show he really was never that bad of a heel, you know? Yeah. Like he, he was never that dastardly, you know, just that there were a couple moments in the entire time he was a heel, but not really that many. I don't think he's quite turned face yet in the sense that I think there's a couple other matches where he does some weaselly finishes um, before he actually goes face. But yeah, I mean, like I said, I think he's just, he, he's easy to transition because he was just never that bad, yeah. <laughs> you know? He was just kind of like smarmy, but never really like a, a real villain villain, you know? Yeah, I agree
0: that that's a good point. Um, another point uh, I'll mention just quickly is a uh, Dave Prasector in commentary says um that Nigel McGuinness is trying to one up Brian Danielson. So just like Danielson used to issue the open contracts to wrestlers who are in the challenge for the world title, Nigel has issued open contracts to the wrestlers in towns Ring of Honor runs. And so CK3, a local guy here, answered the challenge. I like that conce- that idea of. You know, I'm going to one up Danielson every way. So I'm going to do the open challenge. But I like the idea that I'm going to one you know, up the open challenges Danielson did, which saw him wrestle, you know, Marafuji and Carino and Chris Sabin and Lance Storm. And I'm going to one up them with CK3, you know, in your face, Danielson. But. We now have, you know, and I don't think they really go very far with this open challenge thing, but between this, now all the title holders have this open challenge thing. It's like one or two shows ago, we had uh, Ares and Strong saying they were going to do the open challenge thing, which, again, doesn't really go anywhere. But they're all, you know, the Danielson open challenge works so well, everyone's jumping on the on board. But after the uh, match, uh, Nigel drags CK3 to his back to his feet by his hair. And... This is a kind of a cute mor- – I think you can see and hear Nigel tell CK3 twice to smack his hand away, and then CK3 does, and then they <laughs> shake hands. So Nigel's literally calling like that teased, like, oh, are they going to have tension spot?" where you can literally – he's got like his hand on CK3, and you can hear him and see him say twice, smack my hand away, smack my hand away, and then he does it. I was like – for some reason, that kind of tickled me, like, like even calling – even – you know, people even calling – talk about calling spots in the ring, you even going to call the post-match handshake, but – um, so that brings us to a match. We might be uh divisive on that. Uh, that would be the Briscoes of Jay and Mark Briscoe defeating Ace steel and Colt Cabana in 13 minutes, 20 seconds. When Jay pinned ACE after a spike, Jay driller, uh, Matt, you're already on the record that your favorite tag match on the show was the opener. This is another tag match. So what'd you think about this?
1: Yeah, I found this match very disappointing. I, um, it's one of those ROH matches where like, there's a lot of moves, you know, and the moves, you know, often look good. The Briscoes, especially, they, their moves look good, but the crowd mostly wasn't so into it until near the end. And I just thought that the flow was bad. Like it just, it just seemed off to me. It didn't feel like it had a story. There was just, it's one of those matches where they just switch momentum back and forth and back and forth. And it's just very hard to get invested in anything. And, you know, there were some things that I just found didn't click. Like right at the beginning. The Second City Saints play dirty because you know this is rekindling an old rivalry, and they attack the Briscoes right after the handshake before the bell and you know Colt's demeanor like to me it just doesn 't fit because they're trying to play super aggressive, but Colt is still being silly, making funny faces you know they, they they the the Briscoes really have no chance to do offense early on and you know they usually start the match with some good offense, but they really don't have a chance here because the baby faces are totally dominating, and so there's very little crowd reaction also it's uh it's very slow too. Um, the Briscoes also aren't being particularly heelish either. Um, if anything, right, the Second City Saints were the ones who were being cheap at the beginning, even though you know they're ostensibly the baby faces. Um, but they just they just keep tagging back and forth. There's there's really no flow. You know, like I said, there's cool moves um, as there always is, but the the Briscoes work on. Colt for like a couple minutes, and Colt comes back, he catches Mark with a catches a Mark boot, and then just hits a bunch of chops and a bionic elbow, and then he he tags an ace, and I would describe that as a pretty cold tag. Um, they, do, they do one interesting spot where Mark tries to monkey flip Colt into ace, but instead, ace catches him, catches Mark while he's going backwards and back suplexes him. I did like that. Um, then we get Colt and Ace doing simultaneous dives which that wakes up the crowd a bit and gets they get some near falls on Mark Briscoe and they go back again, they continue to go back and forth um, Ace gets worked on for again another just like a minute or two And then he ducks a springboard doomsday device, drops down, elbows out of a double suplex attempt, and tags in Colt, which is much more like a proper hot tag. Colt immediately hits a double Cibrata, gets a two-count, hits a tornado suplex with a perfect plex cradle on Jay, gets a Um, two-count. They continue to do some double teams. Ace almost loses Jay on a powerbomb attempt and almost falls into Colt, who's behind them. But luckily no one gets hurt, and Jay gets out and hits the J-driller. But Colt breaks up the pin, and then Jay whips Colt, and Mark pulls down the rope, which sends Colt to the floor, which allows the bring uh, the Briscoes to hit a springboard spike. Jay driller on Ace to get the win. Um, yeah, it just it just the match just didn't really flow to me. It just felt kind of incoherent, and I, I I don't and I think that that hurt the crowd reactions too.
0: So yeah, we we disagree significantly on this one. I actually um <clears throat> was surprised that I liked this as much as I did. I didn't. I wasn't amazed, like let, let's not get this twisted. I I think this is a good match, like three stars, but I wasn't even expecting that. I was kind of expecting because you you brought up that's a good point that there was like an old feud. You know, obviously the Second City Saints and Briscoes, but for the most part, I was looking at this as like there's no existing feud right now with, with these teams. Um. And I also thought, you know, Colt has a really big match the next night, you know, Danielson for the world title. So I thought, in a sense, I kinda of thought Colt was probably gonna do what uh, Nigel just did on this show, which is kind of take it easy, you know. He could and he could easily be the guy a guy who can get away with that because he can lean heavy on his comedy. And so I was kind of shocked where Colt and Ace, even like you said though, it is a bit out of character for them, but they jumped the Briscoes right before the start of the match. And I thought this was more action packed than I thought. And I get what you're saying, that it it felt, you know, back and forth momentum and kind of without rhyme or reason. But I kind of like the pace this match had in the sense of um, I feel like a lot of times tag matches go to one of two extremes. And they're both good when they're done well, which is either the your move, my move, your move, my move, the entire match, like back and forth, constantly changing momentum, which is exciting. Or the traditional kind of southern style tag match, which, you know, you kind of build up slowly of one you know the baby face gets beat down for a long time they get isolated they eventually make a hot tag and there's this big exciting sequence and then you go to the finish and i felt like this match kind of did in the middle but in a way i actually kind of enjoyed where it was momentum shifts but instead of your move my move it was more like some guy will take four or five moves in a row he'll he'll reverse a move or make a comeback and the second he has a chance he'll tag out then whoever comes in will probably get to dominate for four or five moves in a row then you know so it was like it was, it was momentum shifting back and forth but it was momentum shifting back and forth not your move my move it was more my five moves your five moves and i don't know i kind of uh, for some reason the day i watched it i was kind of like oh this is kind of a refreshing pace i i i, I like this actually and i also thought it was just more action packed than i thought i would see from this kind of match even though you brought up some great examples of where it wasn't completely smooth but like you said, a uh, Colt and Ace did a double dive. I did not expect them to do that in a, in a, in a random third from the bottom undercard tag match. I you know I did not expect to see Ace A-Steel uncork his big like centon from the top. I you know it was fairly action packed. Again, I don't think this was an amazing match or anything, but it was maybe a beneficiary of. I didn't expect a ton from it, and yeah, um, the only, my my one big flaw on this match. Well, there's flaws, but the one flaw I, one flaw I had with it was um, even though the momentum just shifted back and forth, it did feel like Ace and Colt, even though somehow, even though the momentum shifted back and forth, it felt like they had more of the offense. And it did kind of feel in some parts of the match like something you see a lot on the Indies especially, which is the the team that knows they're going to win gives the other team a lot of the match, which sometimes kind of annoys me because you're kind of... It, it it sometimes can feel abrupt then when you win. I don't think it quite did here, but it definitely did feel like like I was very cognizant of, oh yeah, the Briscoes are winning. They're really letting these guys shine because they're good good nice boys, Matt, and they're they want to help them out. So uh yeah, anyway, decent yeah, enough. I wouldn't I um, I wouldn't
1: deny that they worked hard. I just didn't think it fit together.
0: Um and this was also an interesting time for the Briscos because we'll see coming up in the next set, little bit, you know, doing a lot of angle development with them. And Dave Meltzer wrote in the observer at this time, the Briscoes who are going to be pushed even harder because of how impressive they've looked of late, including working with Kenta when he returned. So they were already putting out in the observer, like, you know, Briscoes are going to get a nice big push coming up. Um, And also that was the other thing um, inter- that I noticed was a, uh, Bobby Cruz, when he announced the Briscoes, he made a point to announce that making their Detroit debuts, the Briscoes. So, and Colt even tells them like, welcome to Michigan. So it's, it's rare. Like, I don't recall many wrestlers that have in ring of iron where they've ever like outright announced like, Hey, this is the first time these guys have ever been in this market. And I, part of me was wondering like, is that just to try and get them like more of a face reaction? But I thought, well, they're kind of actually heels on this show. But, um, and then one other funny moment, uh, Jay hits his beautiful, almost a kata esque drop kick. Uh, Colt gets his shoulder up before the ref even starts his count, which I thought was kind of weird. And you ace from the ring apron and says he already kicked out. Your move sucks, which was kind of. But um. After the match, the two teams shake hands and then Jay grabs the mic and says, it's time for a change here in Ring of Honor. Jay says when the Briscoes left, a lot of people forgot about them, but a lot of people didn't forget about them. He says they're back. They're better than ever. Austin Aries and Roderick Strong, the time is coming. And the next time we wrestle for the tag titles, those belts are coming home to the Briscoes and we're going to prove we're the best tag team in the history of Ring of Honor. Then Jay, I mean, Jay tells Aries Strong and the rest of the RH locker room, that's time to man up. So... We'll continue to see the payoff of that later in the night. And that brings us to a four-corner survival match. Um, Delirious defeated Davey Richards and Jimmy Rave uh, with – and Samoa Joe in 22-27 when he made Rave submit to the Cobra Stretch. Uh a lot of multi-man matches are just based around spots, which and this is one of those ones that really actually leans heavy on character and storyline and stuff as the main draw. Like, obviously, Jimmy Rave and Davey Richards are continuing their feud here. They're having some testy changes, including Rave off Mike asking Davey multiple times if he wants a matching black eye to go with the one he gave them from their last match. Um You know, Rave does the usual kind of classic heel psychology where he tags in only when he can really cheap shot Richards when he has the advantage. Uh, Delirious here, you know, he plays Delirious. He, He certainly can wrestle, but most of his entertainment value here comes, again, from his character, from adding comedy, be it whether he's kicking his legs in the air forever as he sells on his back or... Pointing and freezing at an opponent or in the highlight of the match, maybe, or at least his highlight of the match, I would say, uh, grabbing the rope. Yeah, at one point, he's on the top rope. Joe tries to shake the rope, so uh, Delirious falls. Delirious holds onto the top rope and just says in clear English, I'm not going to fall. And then he immediately does the dive from the top and Joe just does his calmly walking away spot. And, yeah, the, you know, mo- the most him coherent
1: last- Delirious has ever been and maybe will ever be in public. <laughs> <laughs> um
0: and then of course Joe, here is uh Joe. He he plays the part of the man. He, early on, uh Davy Richards as the upstart rookie who wants to prove himself, he's really eager to get in the ring with Joe, and we have a little heat when Jimmy Ray prevents that with a blind tag at one point. Eventually Davy and Joe get in and they have couple big strike exchanges and Davey, for a guy who has a lot of dumb jock ass kicker energy who's been booked strong out of the gate for ring of honor he's more than willing to do huge almost comical sells in this match like at one point he stumbles halfway across the ring and falls into the ropes after an exchange at another point he does the old like i'm throwing punches in the air and then falling flat in my face because i'm nearly out cold on my feet spot so like he's willing to sell really big over the top and in fact Davey actually takes a beating for a surprising amount of this match. Like He's in the ring for a large portion of it, mostly on defense, and everyone in the match kind of gets a turn beaten up on him. And it's much more like how rookies are usually treated in Ring of Honor early on than the way the strong way he's been pushed in the first two matches. I was kind of like, what's going on here? But then in the final five minutes, we get that moment where that we see in most of these four-ways where they flip the switch – all of a sudden, everyone's going in and out of the ring. It gets way more action-packed, near falls. At that point, Davey Richards really gets to shine. He uh, he does a couple of the big highlight moves of the match where he does a German suplex on Joe, which is always like a cool spot when you see Joe take a big suplex. And then there's this great moment where Richards hits a big running elbow to Joe, and then he immediately turns around and runs into a huge tope through the ropes on Jimmy Raven. He's just screaming, motherfucker, as he's like flying through the air. You know, and again, it's Richards with that big meathead kind of energy that that's that's the fun part of him and um he's just gonna run around he's gonna hit hard he's gonna scream he's gonna do shit and it did feel like by the end of the match at the point of this match was to kind of make David richards the star of the match but overall i thought this was a good four-way i think your mileage may vary if you're not as into like the character work and stuff because a lot of this match i think the, again the fun of it was more just seeing these characters kind of exist and like how the booking works out and stuff like that then like it's not a mile a minute from the start, amazing spot fest, But I enjoyed this.
1: Yeah, I I thought this was very entertaining. Um, yeah, I'd say it was a good match. Maybe even low, very good. Like I, I really, I really enjoyed it. And I agree with you that by the end, Richards was the star of the match. Between the selling early, which I think you know it's important to uh, establish you could do that, and um, and then you know, see so getting to hit some of his hot offense late. I feel like he fit with. People that are long established in ROH, particularly, of course, Samoa Joe. I like the character stuff. I like that, you know, uh, even though I really enjoyed Joe being insanely intense the week before, uh, despite that maybe not going so well for his his, uh, opponents, um, I also enjoyed that he was able to kind of lighten it up here and be more playful Joe. I think both work, and I think he was a good balance here. And I think Delirious was a good foil for him. And I think you know the, the little bit he got to do with with Richards was cool too. And I think Rave always f- sort of feels like a glue in this match, as far as you know, being uh, you know kind of a mix of intense and cowardly and sneaky, but also very competent. And I think everybody did a good job of playing their roles. I also like that um you know they they kind of in in ROH you sort of get to be a little bit more flexible and sometimes when a main event is feels like they're doing too much of a house show thing i'm like all right this match maybe they could have used a little bit of tightening but i think the house show stuff kind of works here like where they get some more time to work the character and there was at one point where joe uh hit the uh hit the face wash and the running corner kick on uh, on richards and the crowd asked him to do it one more time and since he was kind of just like, okay, like we were loose in ROH, he just did it. He just did the whole thing a second time. You probably couldn't do that if you were working a match on TV, right? So yeah. I, I like that stuff. I uh, I think it it enhanced the match, whereas I think in certain cases it can detract from it. So I yeah, so I thought that – I thought everyone did a good job here. So I, I really enjoyed it. They weren't trying to have a match of the year, and I think that they really effectively did – they hit the level they were trying to hit pretty effectively.
0: And I guess I should also mention I didn't quite go into detail on the ending. The ending was interesting too, where uh Delirious gets the win when he hits the shadows over Joe has uh Jimmy Rave in the rear naked choke, but they're standing. He hasn't gotten them to the mat yet. And then he still bends over while you know, forward while he's got Rave in the choke, but they're both standing, and that puts him in position to take the shadows over hell from uh Delirious, which was a really cool looking spot that breaks the hole and then Delirious gets the uh, dragon clutch on Rave for the submission. So I thought that was just a nice way to end it, where you know Joe almost had the win and Delirious kind of sneaks in and gets the win. Oh
1: and- well, well, one one other um, one other thing I want to mention that I that because you mentioned the spot where um, kind of like Richards went for a dive, but Joe stopped him and chopped him, but Richards then drops him throat first on the top rope and and then. Hits a missile drop kick on Joe and then hits a running forearm to Joe and then immediately dives onto Rave while yelling motherfucker. And that sort of transition from like just moving the ring to all of a sudden you dive to the floor, that's much more common now than it was then. Like at that time, that's like amazing. Like when you do like just one thing and then all of a sudden like you're you're flying out of the ring, like, oh my gosh, like what just happened? That sort of thing was still really new, at least in American wrestling in the mid aughts and that was pretty cool also um second thing i want to mention i wrote in my notes davy hits the springboard kick to rave which gets a big reaction from the crowd but i did not write the word reaction i accidentally typed the word erection so just fyi <laughs> <laughs> the, the whole crowd got a big erection when davy hit the springboard kick to rave
0: there are 500 people in the crowd. You were probably right at least on one of those <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but, uh, it is now intermission at Throwdown. Dave prays X backstage with the Briscoe brothers. Jay say says the night is young. Mark says he doesn't feel like even feel like they've earned their pay tonight. It was that easy the match here tonight. So he tells us they tell us again to man up. They're really leaning in hard to establish man up as a catchphrase, and. Next up, we get an ad for Full Impact Pro for a show called Big Year One Bash Night Two. Not Night One, we're just promoting Night Two, but a Gabe voiceover quickly interrupts the ad as he tells us, get back to the ring, get back to the building, and get the announcers back here because Necro Butcher and Claudio Casnoli are making their way to the ring. Uh, Claudio tells gets in the ring, grabs the mic, he tells the fans to get their filthy, fat, greasy hands off the concessions and move their obese bodies back to their seats because Claudio has sufficiently entered. Inter- ended intermission. Claudio says, since he last came here to Detroit, a few things haven't changed. Detroit is still filthy. It's still filled with ugly people, and CCW still coming out on top in every war with Ring of Honor. He says, what has changed is fewer people seem to like them anymore. Claudio says, I'm rich. I'm good-looking. I'm intelligent. I'm everything you fans want to be. He then mentions that he brought with him the Necro Butcher, and after a somewhat jarring edit, I don't know what they cut out, we then get Adam Pierce running to the ring and attacking Claudio, uh, Necro uh, tax page, their pre- and their match, which apparently was, uh, pre-announced so this was a scheduled match but in the conceit is it wasn't supposed to start right now. Well, it's starting now and that means we get our first match from intermission. The Anything Goes False Count Anywhere match, Adam Pierce and Necro Butcher went to a no contest in nine, 9 minutes 19 seconds, which Matt I assume means actually that anything could not go in this match, but uh What'd you think about
1: this? Yeah, so okay, so I guess it went to a no contest, but at least it felt watching it that it was a disqualification because Claudio attacked Pierce. Like that was the only yeah, reason I, the referee I, I went to
0: Cage matches results, and sometimes cage match kind of just assumes things. So it might have actually been a. T- Either way, it's weird. It was weird, right? To seem yeah, like okay, a- yes,
1: okay. So the the finish was. Like, unacceptably terrible. Like, you can't have a match like this and then have it end in a DQ or even a no contest when one guy interferes. Like, that's just... Especially when you have Ring of Honor where you're allowing people to hit chairs in, like, normal world title matches, right? Like, it just doesn't make sense. That said, finish aside, I was ready to be like, all right, this is another, you know, Adam Pierce brawl through the crowd. But I actually really did enjoy it. Like, it was... Like, I first of all, I liked that they kept the house lights on because... That helped you see through in the crowd a lot better. And they just, it was short enough that they kept it entertaining. It was, I think it was less than 10 minutes long. They, you know, they immediately went into the crowd, um, did a lot of throwing chairs onto each other, chair assisted body slam, fans holding up chairs for Necro and Pierce to whip each other into. I, I, I didn't really think that it was very aligned with the storyline to have the crowd helping Necro with the chairs (laughs) because they're supposed to hate him because he's invading Ring of Honor. He's supposed to be like worse than the worst heel, right? Because like the Ring of Honor fans hate them. But of course it is indie wrestling. So all they just want to do is be involved. But yeah, so they had, they do the thing where the, the fans are like holding up chairs and the wrestlers are like throwing them into them. Necro awkwardly applies a figure four while in the crowd which I think is always fun, doing like a hold in the crowd. You don't see that very often. Um, at one point, the crowd gives Necro a chair while they're in the figure four, which again, doesn't make any sense. But Pierce takes the chair and that's what he uses to escape the hold. So yeah, just that alone is unique. Um, back in ringside, Necro throws Pierce into the ring post. They walk back toward the entrance. Pierce punches a chair into Necro's face, uh, gets a count in the aisle way, um, they fight over a pile driver, which is reversed into a backdrop. Necro puts a chair over Pierce's neck and sends it into the ring post. And then a bunch of chairs, like they get piled up, like right in the first row beyond the guardrail. And Necro goes to send Pierce into it, but Pierce reverses and body slams Necro onto the pile of chairs. If you saw that pile of chairs and thought that Necro wasn't the one who was going to get thrown onto them, <laughs> you do not watch a lot of wrestling from this era. Um, so finally, they're in the ring, and Pierce sets up two chairs face-to-face, um, but ne- and Necro back-suplexes Pierce to stop whatever he was trying to do, and then he rearranges the chairs in that back-to-back position, and Pierce slams him right onto the top of those two chairs. Like, you know, we've seen that spot plenty of times, but this was about as flush of a landing on chair backs that I've ever seen in a spot like that. Like, just like I wrote, backbreakingly scary. Um <laughs> Um. So then Pierce comes off the top with the big splash onto a chair on top of Necro, and that's when Claudio breaks up the cover, stomps Pierce, and that's when the match gets thrown out. So yeah, awful ending, but I really liked this more than I thought I would. Like you know, obviously it wasn't anything special or anything, but it was a quite entertaining brawl. Yeah. Um.
0: I enjoyed this. I, I thought this like was a strong above average. I, I, enjoy, I, I which sounds damning, but I actually enjoyed this more than I thought, too. Uh, You know, this fulfills the mid-card brawl between a CZW wrestler and Adam Pearce or B.J. Whitmer requirement that a lot of Ring of Honor shows had, and it does a decent job. I, I think one thing we've learned from doing through the years, I've noticed, is a lot of my favorite kind of Ring of Honor storylines. Sometimes in my mind, I'm like, Man, I wish that was longer. But when I watch them, they all, like, all a lot of them so far, it's like right when they're about to end, I'm feeling like they're just starting to get long in the tooth. Like, this is the last double shot before we get the death before Disarm, which is the, for all intents and purposes, the real end of the CZW Ring of Honor feud. And this was the first time where, even though I enjoyed this match, I was like, okay, we've seen the same thing quite a bit now. Like, we're hitting the same note over and over. Like. Every market is getting one of these Adam Pierce or BJ fights, you know, Necro or Claudio or Hero or some other CZW Super Dragon or somebody in a in a brawl. But this was a good version of that. Um, yeah,
1: when, when you mentioned, I don't, I do I don't want to interrupt your review no, too much, but no, like it makes it just gives me an idea. Like, so I think a lot of people thought, most people, I think almost everybody would say that the NWO NWO storyline went on way too long, right? And. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I wouldn't say that it would have been better if they only went from like bash at the beach to Starcade 96 like i feel like that it definitely had more legs than that but it just makes me wonder if roh had decided to go more in the nwo direction where they incorporated the czw guys more into the main elements of the show they had them wrestling more for the world title they 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 made maybe turned more roh guys or brought in more czw guys maybe had the kings of wrestling win the tag team titles while czw was still in the mix Things like that, if that would have made the the storyline go, you know, seem a little bit have like it had more legs. Because, yeah, they were booking in a very repetitive way at this point. Like, it was yeah. clearly at the point where they were just killing time till Cage of Death. Um, but they could have done other stuff. I'm not saying it would have been better. I think it is good that this was a compact storyline that had a beginning and an end. Um, but it does make me wonder, like, could they have gotten more legs out of it if they have just kind of... Been a little bit more ambitious with what they wanted to do in the month to month with it.
0: Yeah, that, that's a really interesting thought. And my thoughts were on, on on this getting just a little bit old too. It. it was almost like the way I think we felt when we were re watching and recovering the, the Summer of Punk storyline, where I think it was like the last show before the final double shot where he loses, Punk loses the title and then has the farewell match with Colt. It was like that match against James Gibson where we were like, you know, it's not like the match is bad or anything, but it was like, we had kind of seen them hit the same note for a bunch of shows. And it was like, but once they got to like the Daniel 60 minute draw and the James gives the was like, how many times can we just see, you know, like, punk like weasels his way out runs away with the title like it, it's a great story that's one of the best storylines that ring up on history but yeah it, sometimes they hit the same point over and over it doesn't really the, the storyline doesn't really so much progress for a while as much as it just stays in a holding pattern like you were saying until it's time to blow it off or even sometimes they just repeat stuff because i think gabe thought you know like every market should get to see this because you know the other thing would be like the Riot, the, the initial Ring of Honor Riot in 2003, whatever you want to think about that, was like this novel, interesting thing. And then they repeated it two more times in different markets to way less of an effect. But it was almost like, hey, this thing works. Let's just keep doing it in other cities. And, right.
1: It's hard to it's hard to do like a, a big angle where when most of your live crowds will not have seen the other parts of the angle until months later when the when the DVD comes out.
0: And so that's why it's always – I always have to keep in my mind, like, you know, we're revealing from the perspective of people that are watching every DVD. But if you're like a live fan who hadn't seen a whole bunch of recent DVDs, you haven't seen this brawl five times. You know, if you're in just a Detroit fan who's seeing live shows, this might be your first or second time you've seen something like this from Ring of Honor, and you're probably way more jazzed about it. But um, the other thing I'll say watching this match, too, is, uh, Matt, I think on a recent show I mentioned that, like, if I was going to have to wrestle anybody on this Ring of Honor roster, I'd pick either Brian Danielson or Christopher Daniels. as the guys I'd be most trustworthy to get my, like, unathletic, never wrestled a match in my life, untrained body through, like, something that wouldn't kill me and might have a chance at at least not being the worst thing of all time. And. Watching this match, I'm a fan of Necro Butcher, but this was the match where I really thought like Necro Butcher would be the guy on this roster I would least like to work with. Like he feels like kind of a nightmare. Like he he throws those Necro Butcher punches, and the the Necro Butcher punches where he's like throwing them, they're only at like 60% intensity, but they're still connecting at some points with Adam Pearce's jaw. I was like, man, that I wouldn't want to wrestle that. And also when you watch Necro wrestle. Is there a spot where, where that requires Necro Butcher to leave his feet that he doesn't get up like for like a garbage bag full of bricks? Because he, and I'm not saying that even like sometimes when people say oh someone's sandbanging someone it's like oh that's an accusation they're trying to make the other to look bad. I don't think Necro's trying to make anyone look bad because there are spots where him getting up higher for a spot would protect himself and he doesn't get up for them. And I just feel like so many spots you see Necro he anything that requires him to be leaving his feet he barely gets up for it. I'm just like man if I had, if I was a wrestler I had to wrestle necro I'd be like oh this is going to be
1: this going to be a rough night for me but um but you know th- those sorts of bumps that he takes is obviously what got him notoriety so I yeah, guess it, it's in, part in, of the in the in the very 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 short-sighted way of looking at it it worked out for him in the in the long sighted way of looking at it maybe maybe not I don't know but
0: and I also I met I love that you brought up the, the light thing because I felt like In my notes, that was one thing I really praised this match for. I thought, am I just like an uh, like an old man who like his review of like the people who like review a movie on Amazon or something like you know, or. Or just go, or on on or or like you know, the seats were really comfy at the theater. Four stars because one thing I really appreciated about this match was that the lights were on, and I realized they kept with like a nice conceit for that—the idea because Claudio's interrupting intermission, and an intermission was not supposed to be over yet. The uh, the house lights are on for this entire match, and I was just like so thankful. This was like, well, the rare indie crowd brawls where you could see everything crystal clear. I was like, man, I wish they could do this more for Crawl Brawls. Just, like, turn on the house lights for this match then. And
1: well, I've I've always been a weirdo who just thinks the house lights look better anyway.
0: Yeah, and you get to see, you know, more of the different character of the buildings. And, yes, some buildings look riggy-dick, but it's indie wrestling. That's part of the charm of indie wrestling. But, um, yeah, I thought Necro putting on the uh, figure four. I thought – I wrote in my notes it was something like it was simultaneously, like, Awkward looking and better than I thought Necro was capable of. And it's another funny thing where like Necro is the CCW wrestler, you know, the hardcore guy and he's whipping out a figure four in a brawl. Although it's another moment where you can hear a guy call fuck Adam Pierce at one point. I think while he's getting covered by Necro says to him, put me in the figure four. And then that's the next thing Necro does. So Adam Pierce calling figure fours in the crowd in, in, a, in a false anywhere match. Um, but yeah, th- these guys work hard. Uh, uh, one other thing I want to bring up too, Matt. I, I and I probably brought this up before, but I might as well bring it up again here because I kind of had this thought during this match. I feel like one guy I've gained a bit more respect for watching, doing through the years and rewatching all these shows is Adam Pearce, who's a guy you know I really thought did not fit in Ring of Honor. I I didn't have a lot of super fond memories of him, but watch him in this feud he really is trying hard and like he pulls out a tope there here. He, you know, he's doing his super fly splash onto a chair. Like he's bleeding from the back of his head. And and I was thinking, watching this match, like put yourself in Adam Pierce's shoes coming into ring of honor where you're brought in. And you're, you know, your whole thing is you're the you're this throwback guy to the past. You're kind of a more back to the basics kind of wrestler. You can do a few big high spots, but you're more old school. That's kind of your gimmick, too. You're, you're starting kind of this war of words with Jim Cornette. And then also, of a sudden, something that probably was not planned for you at all, this CZW thing that was supposedly just one match, Chris Hero versus Danielson, catches on, becomes a whole thing. And you're like, just Gabe decides to put you at the center of it. And now you, this throwback kind of, 80s style wrestler are wrestling on every show like these violent plunder crowd brawls you're working the necro butcher regularly and you know you got this big cut in your head it's getting reopened you know you're getting hit with chairs like and, and he's really trying and he's doing a decent job of it and i and i just felt like
1: you know i'd say i'd say i'd Adam say i better than i'd say a better than decent job
0: yeah, he's doing a good job of it. Yeah, he, he, you know, he and Whitmer are like the workhorses of the Ring of Honor team for this feud, and they're having to do a lot of, you know, the more difficult, you know, maybe not always the matches that are going to be remembered from this feud, but the matches that in terms of just punishment are the more are the heavy lifting. And
1: and wait, and wait till I, we, re, and wait till we, wait till we rewatch. Oh, that was easy for me to say. Um, wait till we rewatch the Cage of Death before you even say that they they are in the unmemorable matches because they do a lot of stuff in the memorable ones too yeah
0: so you know credit to adam pierce for probably being making the best and giving a real hard effort in a in a situation he probably was not expecting and you know in a wrestling that probably is not what he would consider his strong suit or his favorite way to work and he's uh doing a good job of it but uh and yeah, also, the one thing that really mars this match too is that ending you mentioned, which is, you know, Claudio interferes and the ref calls for either a DQ or a no condus, which is made more absurd by the fact that Claudio had already interfered on the floor during this match and made even more absurd by the fact that it's a false count anywhere, anything goes match. So it, it, it's that classic Ring of Honor trope we've talked about over and over again, which is DQs in Ring of Honor only happen when it serves the booking. So, um, as soon as the ref calls for the bell, the fans are chanting for Homicide, so they're already expecting it. Claudio and Necro team up to beat up Pierce for a short while until uh, Homicide's music hits. Out he comes, and we get Homicide defeating Claudio Castagnoli via pinfall in 1553 after he hit a lariat. And this match just – I'm really interested in hearing what you think, Matt, because this match just didn't work for me. Uh, we get a fairly hot start. With homicide really taking it to Claudio. He tosses it on on ringside. Claudio gets like whipped into the sheet metal ring of honor side on the barricade. Or it's leaned up. He takes one Homicide takes one of those signs off. He leans it up against a different barricade and ha ho- Claudio gets whipped into it and he takes it so high. He like flies over into the crowd, which, you know, we've seen guys fly over to the crowd, but a guy as big as Claudio with that momentum, it was cool to see. And then, but then we go in the ring and not too long after that, Claudio takes control and the match just kind of dies to me. It's not like there isn't some neat spots, Claudio does like this great upside down, no hands rebound off the ropes, where he like gets flipped to the ropes and takes it like flipping, so his head's down and his legs are in the air. And he bounced off the ropes and backsprings off with no
1: hands. That was yeah, really cool. That was the weirdest handspring I've ever seen because it was like it was a headspring. I, I it was like he had a coil <laughs> in his he- in his neck. It's crazy.
0: Yeah, it was really impressive. Um He breaks out like that classic, almost like Grand Nanawa, walking on the second rope, elbow drop. He even does this great walking up the turn. Homicide's on the top turnbuckle, and um Claudio w- runs all the way up the turnbuckles and then does an enziguri to Homicide as he's staying on the top turnbuckle, which was really cool. So there's some cool spots, but for the most part, this crowd, which had been very hot for Homicide right at the start of the match, goes almost completely silent for a lot of this match. And there's still action in this match, but there's just something about, I don't know, it's a lack of chemistry, a lack of emotion. It's two talented wrestlers, and unlike the Nigel CK3 match, this doesn't feel like they're like going in second gear or holding back or mailing it in at all. It just feels, something feels flat here. And it's still professional enough. It has enough neat spots it where I would say that's oh, an above average match. But just for two guys this good with this much time, I was fairly disappointed with this match.
1: Um. I would say I probably like this a little bit more than you. I thought it was pretty good, but I thought that it had the potential to be very good because the beginning, I thought, was, like you mentioned, a really hot start. The crowd was going nuts for the beginning, and I, I almost feel like if they just cut out the whole middle of this match and went right from the hot brawling on the outside right at the beginning... And and the the big belly to belly back in the ring where Homicide screams the f word before he hit the belly to belly, and 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 the wacky rolls in the ring to that. Well, okay, so the ref. Uh, I, I don't know. This must be. Do you know who this ref was? In this match? No,
0: I was going to talk about too. Like yeah. he's like a local ref. It must because I've never seen him on another Ring of Honor show, right? But he was
1: like doing like roles, so. like to get into position and stuff. Like he was, he must have been noteworthy in the area because I don't see. I I'd never seen a ref this animated where he's like flipping around in the ring and stuff in his and in, in his movements. So he, I I don't know. Maybe a listener who's familiar with uh, Detroit wrestling knows who he is because they don't. I don't remember them mentioning his name, but. You know, once they go through all that stuff, and then if they just cut right to some of the big moves at the end, you know, with the, uh, you know, the run up the ropes into Gary and the Apomari water slide and the blocking the Ricola bomb into the three amigos and the frog splash and, you know, the uppercut exchange and the big lariat. If they just done that and just had like a 10 minute match, I think this match would have been really good. Like if they just try to do a sprint. But yeah, that middle portion where Claudio it really slows things down, I think is what, I don't know, I'd say knocks at least one full star off this match if you're going to do star ratings. Maybe more because the crowd does just really die and I don't think they fully get them back the way they could have in that final sequence. You know, they get them back a little bit, but I still think that the heat in the match just doesn't match – what they're trying to go for because homicide supposed to be like the baby face with all the momentum that the crowd's going crazy for and instead these he's having this match i mean to be fair you know you're contrasting it with the last match he had in new york where obviously he's like a, a god to that crowd uh, but still it's really not it's really not excusable to have a match that's just so flat when you're trying to build so much momentum i mean i get, this is just growing pains i think for some of these wrestlers like claudio of just learning how to you know you don't always need to work the longest match or learning how to work a longer match to keep it hot uh you know there's there's just the the pace matters and you know yeah they definitely worked hard but i i think they just worked the wrong match for this crowd um but i would have liked to see a um a a abridged version of it and see how good it could have been
0: and, and uh, something we might have mentioned in the past, but like I continue to think that Claudio has kind of lost something in the ring in Ring of Honor since he turned heel. And I don't even think like some of these matches. I don't even necessarily think it's all his fault. Maybe he's just snake bitten. But like you think about this match, you think about that Samoa Joe singles match. Like he's just had some.
1: And this was this was match way better on than pay-
0: that. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And again, that, I don't think that Samoa Joe match was entirely his fault or anything. But like it just he's he's been in this kind of whether part of it's bad luck or part of it's just trying to adjust to working as a heel but like he's had some real kind of just meh performance matches especially certain matches where you'd be really excited for on paper since he turned heel
1: um also, Claudio, you know, Claudio was match- a, Claudio oh. was, a, Claudio was a really good wrestler even back then but he obviously would get much better you know like he was still yeah fairly new in his career it wasn't like mean, he wasn't like a rookie or anything but he was still fairly new, and there's still a lot for him to learn, and he did, <laughs> he learned it. Yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, so Prezek on commentary during this match points out that Jim Cornette has said that he will give Homicide a title shot against Nigel McGuinness for the pure title tomorrow, if he can through Claudio tonight. So they're already focusing on this idea of, you know, Homicide says I need to win a title before the end of the year, or I'm leaving Ring of Honor. So they're already, you know, using that, not just to build up eventually a big world title match, but even just the idea of we can use this as a motivation for him for stuff like pure title matches, you know, like, hey, any title will do. Um, and then also there was a moment in this match I thought I didn't mention where uh, Homicide takes a scary back body drop where he only rotates it to his back like at the last minute. And you can even hear the crowd be like, oh, like
1: – Well, I, you, thought it, I, thought, I thought it was sort of like – he de- turned it into a backdrop at the end cuz i thought it was just supposed to be one of those like almost like what the Briscoes do where they throw him in the air and then he lands face first and like homicide decided oh i guess i, I don't want to land face first or something like that <laughs> like cuz that that's the way it looked he went up so high and he didn't turn until the last second i was like oh he's probably going to like just pancake down right on his face and then he did the he did the flip and i was like wow that was scary
0: yeah i was like you're playing with fire either way he was playing fire there but uh uh, so next up we have our semi-main event, the ROH World Title three-way elimination match. Brian dayson, the champion, successfully defends his title when he defeats BJ Whitmer and Jimmy Jacobs. Jimmy scored to the ring by Lacey in 20 more, 24 minutes, 47 seconds uh danielson and jacobs first eliminated bga whitmer together via double pinfall they covered him simultaneously after they hit a combination power bomb top rope contra code on whitmer and then danielson would eliminate jimmy jacobs in 2447 when he made him pass out in the crossfish chicken ring so i always like to point out these examples of how gabe you know gabe sapolsky booked ring of honor not just DVD to DVD, you know, show to show, but show in that town to the next show in that town because you think this is the perfect market. To run this match because the last time they were in Detroit was, of course, the infamous B.J. Whitmer, Jimmy Jacobs singles match where they legit almost died. They you know fell off the top rope. And so and this is also Jimmy Jacobs, you know, kind of home area. So if there's any place you're going to book a three way where Whitmer and Jacobs get to wrestle the world champion, any place that's going to be receptive to it at the highest level. This is the market. This is the time for it. And uh, I won't tip my hat, but Matt, what do you think about it?
1: Yeah, I um. well, it was definitely something different, which, you know, different is good. I mean, it was Danielson's second three-way match in a row, but still, he hasn't had a three-way world title defense, and this was an elimination match as opposed to a one-fall to a finish match, so it still was different than the one the week before, and they got to do some unique stuff. First of all, even just right at the entrance, because Danielson is usually pretty calm and collected during his entrance, but the second he walks through the curtain, he's like furious, and he find some sign and he tears it up. And it must have had something to do with his sexuality because during his entrance, you know how Danielson always tells the ring announcer to say something tailor-made for that particular match. He tells Bobby Cruz to announce him as, quote, and surely the most heterosexual man in this ring, which I, you know, as weird as that sounds in 2023, I'm assuming it had to do with a sign in the, in the crowd because why else would he say that still weird but i i guess it had to do with that i don't know do you think it has to do with the sign like uh, uh, or why uh, would he say that
0: <laughs> i don't know it, it was it was weird it's like how do you even know that brian right. you don't know these people
1: right and and what is there how are their degrees in this and what never mind all right
0: so um <laughs> brian is about to sit down and talk about like the kinsey scale but uh
1: yeah yeah right exactly so yeah so the, okay, so <laughs> Like I said, I'm not usually a huge fan of three way title matches, but I liked that it's different, and I liked that they, even as a three way, it was different, and that they immediately did some wacky three way submission spots, which I think is the earliest I've ever seen them do that in a three way match, which is like that was like almost like the first or second thing they did. It was like all get into a simultaneous submission, so I uh, I enjoyed that. Um, it really doesn't make a lot of sense to do holds in a three way match when no one is incapacitated, but it was entertaining enough. But what I liked is, you know, Danielson's title matches always start where he really is slow and deliberate, and there's really none of that here. It's just very fast paced. Um, um, Danielson, he blocks when Jacobs does like his spinny head scissors thing. And then he turns it into an airplane spin, which we had not seen Danielson do in a while. So I enjoyed that. He actually did a pretty long one before Whitmer stopped it with a drop kick. So all sorts of different stuff. Um, Early on in the match, I was actually kind of disappointed with how the crowd wasn't as into Jacobs as I would have hoped. You know, he was getting some good chance, but they weren't like overwhelmingly on his side but by the end they they get them into it um but uh, they did some fun stuff with with jacobs and whitmer first of all um they toned down a lot jacobs's whole i'm obsessed with lacy and i need to constantly go out of the ring and check on lacy he's much more focused here he really doesn't do any of those like comedy lacy spots at all which is good although that doesn't stop the crowd from chanting horrible things at lacy uh Things about herpes and show your tits and like stuff that I'm just never going to get used to watching it now. You know, like stuff. it's just always going to seem very upsetting when I have to go back and hear it. But, you know, a lot of cool spots like uh, Whitmer going for an exploder on Jacobs, but Danielson German suplexes Whitmer for a double suplex spot. Um, there's also a point where um, Danielson struggles to get BJ into the cattle mutilation and he gets it, but Jacobs goes up top and breaks it up with a top rope senton to Danielson, who's in the bridge. There's also a moment where um Jacobs catches Whitmer on his shoulders mid-leapfrog and hits a Death Valley driver for two. So if you want to impress a hometown crowd, just do that by catching a much bigger guy, putting him onto your shoulders and hitting a Death Valley driver. That was one of the more impressive things I've ever seen Jimmy Jacobs do. Like... Just really, and you could really tell cool.
0: it took a lot of effort from him to be like, "Yeah, I got to hold him, I got to push him up," and then he hit it.
1: Yeah, he, but it was effort, but it wasn't bad. You know, it looked good. Like, it, it was, yeah, he, no, he got it done. Yeah, for sure. Um, so at one point, they're on the top rope, and Jacobs fights off Danielson, and Whitmer gets excuse me, and then Whitmer gets Danielson in the electric chair position. And Jacobs and Whitmer hit the classic Doomsday Rana, which that was fun to see them, b- but not only working together in a moment, but also working together like in a way that, you know, um, kind of called back to their spots as a tag team. And they do a double pin on Danielson for a two count. And I think that that was a really great near fall. Um, and then in another callback, Whitmer puts Jacobs up on the same corner that they fell from. In the famous match, the last show in Detroit. And of course we get a please don't die chant and Whitmer teases powerbombing Jacobs into the crowd again, but Jacobs crotches him and Jacobs goes for the super contra code, but Whitmer fights it off and Whitmer sets up the powerbomb again, but Danielson comes in and helps Jacobs hit an assisted super contra code and they pin Whitmer. And that was a really cool tease. That was a really great spot. The crowd was really into it. And I thought a great elimination for Whitmer. Um, Probably couldn't have honestly done a better elimination. And very smartly, they end with Danielson versus Jacobs one on one. And, you know, this is when they start to get Jacobs over as the hometown babyface for the match. Right off the bat, Danielson teases that he won't fight Jacobs, but of course he kicks him in the gut with a cheap shot during a handshake and he's aggressively chopping and uppercutting him. And he he hangs Jacobs over the top rope, and then he comes running and hits an awesome drop kick to, like, the top of Jacobs' head. Sends him all the way to the outside, into the guardrail. Great bump there. And he keeps attacking Jacobs on the outside, takes a chair and puts it on Jacobs' head and stomps the chair. He does this thing where he puts his hand on Jimmy's nose and then hits his own hand into the nose, and Jimmy's nose gets busted open. I don't know if it was busted open before or after he does that move, but he... Danielson does go after the nose, pretty in a pretty targeted way for a while. Um, hits a, t- a diving headbutt, cattle mutilation. Jimmy makes the ropes, um, and then Jacob spears him as he goes for a roaring forearm, gets, which is his first offense in a while. Gets a series of forearms and into Gary, a cradle neck breaker into a small package. Uh, Danielson leaps off the middle rope, gets caught with another spear for two. At this point, the crowd still isn't totally buying these near falls, but they have some work to do. Um, Danielson, he goes for the back superplex, but Jacobs reverses that into a super contra code, but Danielson blocks that. He goes for a sunset flip off the top, but Jacobs turns that into a cradle, and that's the best near fall of this singles match so far. And then Jacobs hits a Contra Code. That's an even better near fall. That's a, the big pop there and even a bullshit chant when Danielson kicks out. So now the crowd is, I'd say, pretty fully invested in Jacobs and he locks the cattle mutilation on Danielson. Um, who of course rolls out and backs Jacobs into the turnbuckle to break the hold. Um. And so Jacobs keeps trying to lock it on, but Danielson shoves him to the mat, hits a roaring forearm and elbows to the head, and then the chicken wing, and Jacobs is out, so Sinclair stops the match. So at least they don't make Dan- Jacobs tap out in his, uh, in his hometown. Which is nice, you know, you don't want to make him tap in the hometown. Um, I thought the three-way portion was like super fun. And I thought the Jacobs versus Danielson portion, it was a little bit less unique, but it really got the crowd into the near falls and the finish was excellent. So I would say this is really good. I would say low, great, even like it was just a lot of fun and it was something different. And I thought Jacobs and Whitmer rose to the occasion to the best that you could expect them to, especially Jacobs. So I'm, you know, I'm thumbs up on this match. I thought it was a good and different, um, a good and different. A world title match
0: we are simpatico on our rating on this one because i would call this low great too. like just getting into four stars like a you know a great match to be that's you get into four stars that's where i started to call a match great that i i think this was like a nice four star great match um the three-way there were some parts of the three-way like the big spots of the three-way which you covered basically all of them were fantastic i liked the callbacks you know i love like you mentioned Whitmer and um, Jacobs bring back their old tag finisher against Daniel so One Because it was a neat near fall, but two, I just like because it puts over like how important the match is. Right, that these two guys who dislike, who hate each other at this point, who are feuding against each other, they see an opportunity to try and eliminate the world champion. And the world champion's so tough, and the title is so valuable, it's worth it to even in this match because there'd be such an easy temptation in a match like this to have these guys just hate each other every second of the match. But to have that one moment where it's like hey, we were organically in this position where we could do our old finish or we could kill this guy and to do it together. I thought that was a really cool moment. And you mentioned like all the other cool spots in the three-way. There were some parts of the three-way also were just a little more middling to me. And also there was a bunch of the three-way other than those highlight spots, the three-way portion of this match that felt like your classic three-way of one guy – is always on the outside for the most part because really these guys want to mostly just do one-on-one wrestling. And that's a really hard thing. to Imagine three way, like all three ways have that to some degree. I thought this one, other than the big highlight spots had that quite a bit. It was really leaning on the, okay, you just get on the outside. We're going to wrestle for a minute or two. But, um, you know, I liked you know the the end. Now, a couple of weird things from the three. First thing, and again, these are real weird nitpicks. Well, maybe not. Maybe one of them is a nitpick. But you mentioned this is an elimination match, and at one point Jimmy Jacobs breaks up a cow mutilation with a senton, which is a cool looking spot. But in an elimination match, shouldn't you just let Danielson do it? Shouldn't you just see if Danielson can eliminate Whitmer for you? That's only going to help you. In fact, if he submits the guy, then hit the senton immediately and. You've got a real good shot, but instead it's one of those weird things where that's the one time in this match where they kind of go against what the logic should be in an elimination three. The, the, and the only the the
1: three- defense I could have of that is mm-hmm. that there are a lot of three ways that are first pinfall and you know, that you could have the idea that in the heat of the moment, the wrestler just forgets, you know, I guess that would be yeah. – that would be – and, you know, Jimmy Tess had his brain scrambled. That That's really the only real excuse you could make for a spot like that. Not not that there's any logic to it, but just that the wrestler forgot.
0: And, and, the, uh, and the other thing I would say the three-way that was kind of a weird thing – again, this is the one that I think is a more of a real nitpick, but like that isn't – probably that valid you know i love the callback of whitmer teasing that he's going to power power powerbomb jacobs into the crowd again but when you think about the logic of it whitmer really shouldn't want to do that because you think about all right when he tried to powerbomb jimmy jacobs you know, from the top rope into the ring. The last time they were in in, in Detroit, yes, he won the match, but he broke his ankle. The, then the last time he tried to powerbomb Jacobs into the crowd, that match immediately ended on a no contest. Yes, it hurt Jacobs, but it hurt him too. Like the logic of this, like to me, would be like if I'm B.J. Whitmer, I ne- especially in a three-way where there's another guy actively competing in this match, I would never want to try and repeat that again because I'm probably gonna take myself out of this match too.
1: But Obviously maybe maybe, a cool maybe, big- in a, maybe in a blow-off brawl with Jacobs, but definitely not in a world title match.
0: Yeah. But then we get to the um- – the singles portion of the Jacob where it's just Jacobs Danielson. And that was really interesting to me too, because at that hot start where that you described where Danielson takes Jacobs outside with that, you know, does the big drop kick, all that stuff, the stopping on the chair. And then I felt like the crowd was starting to get up for it. Like, Hey, it's our local guy and this could be cool. And then for a minute or two, Danielson really slows it down. And I was like, man, you're kind of, um, you know, stopping the momentum that you were just trying to really build. And then I realized you don't doubt Brian Dennison, because he did something I think he's done a lot of times that I think he's one of the masters at, which is he kind of brings a match down to like, you know, like a, a two or three, and then he just slowly, well, in this case, not even that slowly, but he just builds it right back up again. And, you know, he really dominates Jacobs for a collar. He's the bully bully. And then he over time he lets Jacobs, you know, You know, he lets Jacobs survive some big moves, and he lets Jacobs throw a lot of big moves at him. And, yeah, there are a couple spots here, a couple near falls, where I don't think the entire crowd is buying Jacobs could win. But there's enough of the crowd that are popping really hard for those near falls, and including that one you mentioned where they chant bullshit. Where I feel like there are at least some of those fans who kind of bought into a couple of those near falls. And the fact that they got anyone in that building to believe that Jimmy Jacobs in 2006 could beat Brian Danielson for the world title... Like, that is a huge win to me and, like, a testament to the talent. And I thought it was a really good solo, like, one-on-one portion of this match. And it was not as good as this, but what I would kind of compare it to would be the first Survival of the Fittest match in 2004 where, you know, that is that was also a big elimination multi-man match. That was with double the people, obviously, six instead of three, but also went down to – um Brian Danielson and a guy who in the booking hierarchy at that point, you wouldn't think would be on his level, which was in that case was Austin Aries. And just like in that match, you know, both in both of these matches, Danielson basically wrestles like the length of an entire, like decent singles match against his opponent. He, and he really kind of builds it like an entire new singles match. that has a start, middle and finish. And he gives the guy a lot, but he still wins emphatically at the end. And he really gets the guy over. And obviously I would not say this is as good as the Aries um danielson portion of the match and i don't think obviously this did for jacob's career long term what that match did for aries that was like the singles match in ring of honor i feel like it really put aries on the map in ring of honor but i don't think as a match it's that far off it, it, it's very enjoyable it's very well done and um yeah i really liked it i thought this was uh, the, i think you made a great point too about jacobs this was a match where um he really toned down like the I Gotta Impress Lacy Lacey stick where this really felt like they were going out of their way to try and have like a show stealing I guess it's hard to call a match a show stealing what's the semi-main event for the World title, but they were trying to put on a great match. They were trying to really and I think especially with Danielson and Jacobs, he was trying to really spotlight this guy. And uh, again I think they did a really good job of that. Um Matt, the one other thing I wanna quickly uh bring up that we've I forgot to mention I was going to mention the last match I I, this is a such an inconsequential thing I have to bring it up Matt you mentioned that guy with that ref I want to bring up anyone that watches the show watch that ref we talked about in that previous match because Matt It wasn't even selling it big enough. This guy, there was a point in this match where I kept hearing people, someone yelling. The I thought in the crowd like two count, two, two. After like near falls, I was like, some fans really into this, and I realized that's the ref who's doing that. And also, I started getting distracted just watching the ref after every near fall. And this ref, he is so emphatic, he blows himself up. Like there's a point late in the match where he takes his ref shirt and it's like all disheveled, and he's sweaty, and he like pulls it up over his face to wipe off his face. He's so sweaty, he's blown himself up by refereeing this match and i was like i had to say thoughts to you i was like i've never seen this guy but like who is this guy that is doing this but someone, it was, it, someone, it is,
1: someone's gonna know who he is or they'd be like you yeah. don't know blah, blah 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 he's the most famous referee in town that's what they'll say
0: so it is the uh it is the most interesting part of that previous match it, it would not have been the most interesting part of this match which is uh Very, very. I mean, great. Um. So finally, last thing we have, we have a little note from the observer where Dave talks about, you know, why did Gabe book this to be an elimination three way when the Danielson was just in a three way the week before that was not elimination. Dave writes. Gabe Zapolski, taken from three-way dances in ECW, when he does matches like this with a title at stake, it is eliminations and not first pins. The whole idea is, if a champion can lose his title without being pinned, it makes the title worthless if you actually think about it. Jacobs pinned Whitmer with a top rope contract code while Whitmer was on Danielson's shoulders. Crowd was more into Danielson versus Jacobs than expected, with fans actually buying that Jacobs had a chance to win. Danielson won with a chicken wing submission, and the crowd didn't like that. Um... But yeah, I can't recall like is this the only time they've done in, in like an elimination match? Like have they ever done a, a title match multi-man that was not elimination? I, I'm trying I, I'm trying, I'm trying to think.
1: Okay, so the the match with Samoa Joe against Low-Key, BJ Whitmer and Dan Moff from the 2nd anniversary. Was that elimination?
0: I don't because remember. Because I feel
1: but- like if that was elimination, no. that would have meant that low-key had to get pinned. And I feel like I'd remember that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, but for the most part, yeah, I feel like Ring of Honor has stuck to this rule where, you know, like the Era of Honor Begins was not emla- elimination, but that wasn't for a title. There was no titles. yet. Yeah, the three-way Danielson just had on the week before was a non special non-title match. So I, I-, I think um, – like, I think Davis said in the past he doesn't like eliminations in matches because it, it, then it, he feels like the early near falls until you're down to one-on-one don't get the, the fan interest because they realize that even if someone's eliminated, that's not the end of the match. But it's interesting that then he switches that philosophy for the title where it's like it's more important to protect the title than it is to stick with my other philosophy that it kind of maybe hurts the match a little in that – Ever, pinfalls and submissions aren't as meaningful until you get to that final two people it's interesting how he switches it up for that
1: yeah and then just to just to uh, i was looking it up the that four-way match was not an elimination match um uh joe so yeah, joe, joe joe uh, tapped out whitmer and won the match that was the only fall in the match
0: so, and that brings us finally to the main event of this show. Kenta, one week after suffering a pretty serious concussion, he's in the main event here. Kenta defeats Robert Strong via pinball in 21 minutes, 30 seconds after he hits the go to sleep. Um, Matt, sometimes on through the years, I feel like we've – especially a lot of times it happened in the – when we were coming 2005, we had to warn people like this match looks really great on paper, but for whatever reason, it doesn't meet expectations. Like when you actually watch the match, you know, sometimes it's just – it was put on a place of the car where they weren't shooting for the moon, or maybe guys were at different stages of their development and their careers. Whatever reason, I'm happy to say that this is a match where I feel like this is exactly what you would expect it to be on paper in a good way. Like, you, if you if you go back, you know, if you're thinking young Kenta versus young Roderick Strong going 20 minutes at a main event, I think you're going to get exactly what you want here. Um, this is, you know, a real dream match. It's funny. This is the main event of the B Show. The next night gets the quote unquote bigger Kenta match which is kenta versus austin aries which in some ways is the bigger match because aries i would say is more popular than strong even though strong is over in ring of honor at this point and you know aries is the former world champion but i would say for me of the two matches this is the one that would be more of the dream match because it's one of ring of honor's hardest hitters versus one of the stiffest basses in all of wrestling at this time and again they give you exactly what you want from that this isn't a match where they tease stuff and then save it for the very end. Two minutes in, they're having a very big, you, you know, Roddy's chops versus Kent's kick strike exchange. And that stuff gets peppered throughout the match. You know, this isn't a match where the two guys, you know, didn't have the chemistry or they held back or they got shortchanged on chi- time. This is two stiff basses hitting each other, throwing most of their big bombs against each other. The pace is uh, maybe a little more mid-tempo than you'd expect. There are a couple of little minor whiffs. Like, um, I think at one point, Kennedy does that thing where he like springboards from the apron back into the ring over the top rope and then does the little back kick, but he accidentally misses uh, Strong's head and then has to do the kick again. Or there's like a big move that um, Roddy's going for a big move where he's going to do the thigh slap and he very – visibly whiffs on hitting his thigh, which was like made me laugh, but and the crowd is a little quiet at times. It almost seems like they're a bit exhausted from the last match, but they do get up. I would say when they need to get up, particularly there's one match highlight where it's just in a more mid tempo match. There's one sequence where they just go crazy fast back and forth, doing a bunch of stuff and ending with the double clothesline and the double down where they're both down on the mat. And that gets the crowd actually, I think getting to their feet and giving like a bit of a standing ovation. Um, yeah, it, it, there's hard. It's not much, too much more for me to say because, it, again, it's it's a match that gives you what you want. These guys hit each other hard. They do their moves together. Um, I would say this is like a it's – it's a great match. It's not a match of the year great. It's like another four stars, maybe four and a quarter. It's a match that completely lives up to the expectations and is main event worthy. But at the same time, I feel like these two could have topped it like in a rematch. They probably could have gone even a little bit further, but I'm more than happy – With what we got here for the first time,
1: it's interesting that you framed it that way about how it wasn't disappointing. Because actually, that's like the number one thing I would say about this match is that it's very disappointing to me. Um, Wow! In the sense that, like, this was how I felt at the time. Like, you're right that I think for me, Strong versus Kenta was a bigger Dream match than Aries versus Kenta because I was so into Strong at the time, and I thought, you know, they he would be a great matchup with Kenta, and This match absolutely delivers on the hard hitting, for sure. They, like, there's one chop that strong delivers that sounds like full on gunshot. I can only imagine what it sounded like, um, live in the building. But yeah, this, to me, they, they don't do any more than like the basics of what you would expect. And, I don't know, I, I guess I have the Joe-Kenta interactions to compare it to, where they're hard-hitting, but they're also just going so fast and so intense, and I just don't feel that in this match, and it almost made me wonder if Kenta decided, all right, we're going to hit each other hard, but we're going to do it much more deliberate, because when we're just throwing bombs at a mi- million miles an hour, bad things happen, like with with what happened with Joe the week before. Like I almost wonder yeah. if it was intentionally like, okay, let's just do this much more deliberately and carefully. Then just like going balls to the wall the way, the way we did with Joe. Uh, you know, I'm not saying that's what happened, but it, it, I just wonder just because of how bad it worked out the week before. I, you know, they, they, they hit each other hard for sure. It was a good match for sure. Very good match. But I was at the time, I was expecting a match of the year level match. Like that's what I was hoping for. Like that was what I wanted and I didn't get it. And, um, you know, I was, I was wondering if I watched it back now, if I was like, with, with those expectations kind of pushed to the side, would I be, would I appreciate the match more? And I think I did, but still, I'd say this was the weakest of the Kenta matches we've seen so far. Um, even I know that a lot of people didn't like the three way the week before, but that match was so compelling and every mm-hmm. second of that match was so watchable even if things went wrong that i still like that match more than i like this one i also remember that at the time i was surprised by the fact that i liked the aries match the next night more um i guess i'll see if that stays true on the next show but cuz i love i was more into strong at this point in 2006 and so i was surprised but you know i mean yeah they they do a lot of cool stuff like for one thing what's different about this match right off the start is that kenta and strong are respectful toward each other whereas you know kenta has a had a big attitude with joe and, and danielson right like flipping them off and all that stuff this was not that like they like they they, were, they 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 shook hands without incident they 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 felt each other out and they started hitting big moves and and there was there was only real really one moment in the match where I thought that like it went into, it went out up into the, uh, like the, 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 I guess the gear, the full gear, so to speak, the, of that I would have expected. <laughs> and that was when, uh, after Strong hits a Uranagi backbreaker and a Gibson driver and gets a two count, then they fight out of each other's finishers again and they end up in this really intense slap and chop exchange and they start trading suplexes and then do a double clothesline spot. And I thought that was the best part of the match, and the crowd really came unglued for that. And I don't really think they ever fully come unglued at any other point. Um There was a spot that... Very uncharacteristic of Prezak, where Strong does a belly-to-back suplex on the ring apron, and Prezak starts yelling like, Kenta's back is done! He's done! He's got this match won! And Kenta kicks out to not much of a pop, so I was like, oh, I guess the audience did not feel that as strongly as Dave Prezak <laughs> did in that moment. Um, and yeah, so the finishing sequ- sequence was, was pretty good. I'd say the, the best near-fall of the match was the uh, top rope double-knees that Strong hit, that was the biggest reaction, and then they started reversing uh, roll uh, Stronghold into a roll-up, and then Strong hit some more chops, and then Kenta hit an ace-crusher, and then the Busaiku knee right into the go-to-sleep, so it wasn't like they did all these crazy reverses to get to a surprise finish, it was just like a very straightforward, built-up finish, and I thought this was a also a very just straightforward, built-up match, and so... I do not think this was the best match of the show. I, I like the, uh, the title match more. Still very good. Very, very good. You know, but I might be more inclined to be like three and three quarters as opposed to like four and a quarter. Um, yeah, which was just, you know, not what I was hoping for with these two. I was hoping that they would just go all out and I'd say they went. A lot out, but I wouldn't say all out. So now I have mentioned full gear and all out <laughs> in this review. But you
0: were expecting something revolutionary here. Yes, you were really wanting the forbidden door to open. Um, yeah, I, I, to stay, uh, but I, I,
1: was, I was willing to bet double or nothing that this would be one of the best <laughs> matches of the whole year. <laughs> but you know, but you know, me, me, um, me, guessing that was just a bit of a, a debacle, like the uh, the fighter fest. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I love. That I could hear like your gears grinding in your head as you search for like what other show names can I reference. I, I love that. Um,
1: it, this match. Okay, so to be clear, this match was not a debacle. <laughs> what I to clear? This was not the Fire Fest. Nobody was being served cheese sandwiches in styrofoam. <laughs>
0: um. And I did think there was also some cute moments, like before the match, the crowd, which had given Kenta a very good reaction, they start to go to Roddy's side when he enters. They chant, you know, break his back to Roddy, and Kenta, who hears this, I must understand. He starts rubbing his back and he does some stretches. <laughs> like, yeah,
1: oh, I, I also <laughs> I liked. Er, I, I also liked early in the match where, like, they, instead of like going right to their big moves, like at one point, Roderick. Put, uh backed Kenta into the ropes and on the break, he, he marked like an X on Kenta's chest to tease. Yeah. Like that's what I'm going to chop you. That was nice too. I like, I I enjoyed that too.
0: And um, also for, uh, Camel clutch aficionados that are listening to this, show. I know there's hundreds of them. <laughs> um, uh, uh, Kenta does a really good camel clutch in this match. Like, if you want to see how to apply a, a good camel clutch, like how to work that hold, not just apply it, he's like rocking back and forth and really pulling back at points. Like, he's not just grabbing a guy's ch- chin lightly and sitting down. Like, he's he's working as a hold, which he, I don't see that often. And I, I I was like, good for you, Kenta. You're doing a good job on this hold. You, Kenta and, might know a couple things about
1: wrestling. And and I would say this was during an era. Where- between Roderick Strong and his back in that camel clutch, this was during a time when people were really into breaking someone's back, putting him in the camel clutch, doing some other thing, and making him humble, I would say. People <laughs> were really into all those things back then, back in the mid-aughts.
0: You were into that one thing you won't mention more than ever, I think. So it, it, it's only grown. Chris. <laughs> um, <laughs> gr- 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 <laughs> anyway um after the match the Briscoes hit the ring they put the boots to roddy and kenta and almost and no they put the boots just to roddy they're, they're just after roddy continuing that feud of them versus roddy and uh aries and kenta almost immediately fights them off kenta you know shakes strong's hand raises his arm the crowd chants thank you kenta he to all four sides of the crowd so you know kenta face here and we're building up again the idea of, you know, the Briscoes want that third match against uh, Strong Aries. Uh, the Observer wrote, the idea is the Briscoes are willing to take the kind of punishment you get in a Kenta match, so they're being groomed for him. I like the way that Dave kind of frames that, like, idea that you're not putting wrestlers in against Kenta because they're, like, great wrestlers. It's because, oh, <laughs> like, they're going to be able to withstand, the, the like, the shit kicking Kenta's going to give them, which... <laughs> I, maybe that's one of the considerations, but like, I like the idea of some wrestlers being like, you're good enough to wrestle Kenta, but y- yeah, you don't want to get kicked by him. So yes. you, we're not going to book you against him. Um, so next, finally, on our last segment, we join Cole Cabana backstage, who cuts a very quick, very short promo, having his world title rematch tomorrow night against Brian Danielson. He says, notes is in his hometown in front of his people. He's coming and he's coming for gold. So there was, very little to this promo. that is basically all the pertinent points and but but, that,
1: but Cabana's like, sideburns were on point i would say during this promo. <laughs> and that brings us to the end of
0: throwdown one of our shortest short reviews ever and it's interesting because in a way that kind of sums up the show where i enjoyed this show i think it's a good b show but there's not a like a ton to talk about. It doesn't feel yeah. essential. unless it's, but, it's I mean, solid wrestling, I, but like incredibly it. uneventful. I, I thought, I thought there was two great matches at the end, just getting overboard. I know one of them you think didn't quite get over to great, but you were thought was close. You know, it's, it's a very good, I would say about this show, um, you know, we, we've been hearing that, you know, people are subscribing to the honor club streaming service. Normally when I recommend shows, I'm always in the past, I've always been tough because I've been thinking, well, you recommend you either have to hunt for a torrent or you have to buy the DVD from like eBay for 15, 20 bucks or occasionally more. But like now with Honor Club, with apparently, as Tony Khan said, more people are subscribed to it ever. You know, I'm not going to tell you how to spend your money, but if you were already subscribed to it to see ongoing Ring of Honor, I checked. This show is there in single match segments. And I would say this is one of those classic shows where you probably could get away with just watching the last two matches, and but, those but are there, probably worth But there is the some scene. other
1: enjoyable stuff. I'd say that four way people, if they watched it, they wouldn't be mad about it. You know?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I feel like it, you could probably have a, a decent like hour night watching top two matches, and and yeah, the rest of the show will not be disapp- Will not be bad, but that four way is enjoyable enough. But it's it's a good solid B show, and so. That brings us to the end of the show for plugs as usual through the years at gmail.com. That is T H R O H for our email address. Uh, for some reason you want to watch the show on YouTube. You don't see video of us, but you do. It's another way to listen. Of course you can search for that. There uh, Our Twitter at Trevor Dame on Twitter and at mayor M G F on Twitter. That's the letter M as in mother for both my last name and, Matt being the uh, Matt's initials, obviously. I don't know why I had to explain that for Matt. <laughs> I think you could assume. But um, <laughs> and uh, uh, <laughs> next time on the show, we will be covering the second half of this double shot Chai Town struggle, which would be uh, Colcabana getting his rematch after losing to Danielson in only five minutes. This time, he gets to fight him again for the world title. It'll go. It'll go longer this time. I'll give you that spoiler. Uh, only versus, only
1: one uh, only one show away from Cage of Death.
0: Exactly, they count down to a huge show, which I presume will be much longer than the 90-something minutes we're doing here. Um, Aries versus Kenta, as we mentioned before, that'll be there. I think I think Samoa Joe Russell's delirious on that show, so there'll be lots of stuff to talk about. That was the show. Uh, have a fun uh, WrestleMania week. Ruhaha, ha whatever. And until next time, have a good time. Have a great time.